Welcome to The Laneway, where we delve into all things health, fitness, lifestyle, and sustainable fat loss. But coming at you with an unbiased, educational, and hopefully entertaining approach. Hey guys, welcome back to my channel. <laughs> it's welcome back to my YouTube channel today. <laughs> That's Casey's intro for every YouTube channel. Every time he does a YouTube video, that's yes. at the start. Um, special episode today. Christy Lane. Who's on the podcast, so I'm going to... Um, Christy Lane, just hang on before... Are you going to push call right now? Uh, yeah, I was just going to read a okay, phone right. number out. Oh, so... <laughs> yeah, go, push call. Um, she's not a family member, but shares the same last name as us, and she's coming on to chat about nutrition. Hmm. Gee, I hope she answers. I know. Hello. Hello. Christy Lane. (laughs) In the house. In the house. (laughs) I always feel like we're on a radio show when we do that. Like, if she doesn't answer, she misses out on the prize and we just go to the next person. Yeah. You know, like they've got to answer in three calls or the next person gets the prize. What's the line that you have to say when you answer to win the cash? Oh, that's that's what we have to do. Oh, what what even is it? I don't remember that. They all have different ones, I think. Yeah, maybe. Remember Bubbles won that? Yes. Yes, one of our friends did the... No, do you remember when you had to find... Was it like find a fugitive? Yeah. And it was like, you've got to find this person and they give you a whole heap of clues. And then if you found them, you had to say, are you like the B105 fugitive? That's it. That's it. And our friend Bubbles did that. And he won five grand. Five grand, and yeah. And that's how he started his business however many years ago. Yeah. Crazy. Yep. So it was cool. a, a truck washing business. Yeah. And now he has a private jet and a Rolls Royce. There you go. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yep. So, yep. all off uh, B105 or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So cool. Yep. Like, have goosebumps, isn't it? Yeah. Now, um, Christy, we have a lot of, um, like, dedicated people around us, but none that have been as dedicated as you and changed their last name. <laughs> Your sister from another mister. That's it. <laughs> so good. I love it. I love it. So many people do ask. They're like, "Is is this Christy? Like, is this a family member that we don't know about?" Yeah. I'm like, no, just like <laughs> random, super random. It would be great if it was, but yeah. hey, adopted family just as good. Exactly. Well, I think we're family anyway at this point. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Definitely. Um, do you want to, okay, I was going to say, do you want to say any more words or am I speaking words now? (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I was just in the midst of just before Brad pushed call, um, just giving like everyone a little bit of a rundown that you're going to be chatting about nutrition today. You did an epic live in Train With Ash last week, which was very, very loved. And we thought, you know what, this could have its own place on the potty for people that I guess aren't inside Train With Ash, um, but also like our private one-on-one clients as well, like to have a little bit of an insight. So maybe maybe we should start with like what, you, uh, what you're studying at the moment, what you do, bit of, like a little bit of a background history before we go into obviously a couple of questions. Um, I think we could start there. Also, just like a bit of a background story for everyone that's listening, Christy has been quite a long-term client now. Um, And yeah, we're actually looking to, in the new year, have a few little sneaky surprises with Christy Lane and um, our team as well, which is really exciting. Very excited to watch this space. 
Yes, watch this space. So, yeah, so give us a bit of a, like, just a real quick, I guess, rundown of who you are and, yeah, that kind of fun stuff. My elevator pitch? Yes, exactly. (laughs) All right. So, to give you a little bit of background about me, so um, I'm a certified sports nutritionist. I'm currently studying dietetics as well, so that's always been my big area of love and that's stemmed from a few different areas, so... Probably, first of all, from my own background in sport and in particular, um, when I was in my 20s, I was right into triathlons for a while and then became a lot more interested in how to best fuel my own performance and then was diagnosed with some different food intolerances as well, so then developed a bit of an interest in that um, different space as well. And then I'm also a school teacher, so I teach physical education, health and psychology. So from a health background as well and working in schools, have quite a, an interest in childhood nutrition too. This is going to be a long podcast. Maybe we just, is there anything you haven't done? Maybe <laughs> let's, let's start there. Sorry. What, um, what is dietetics? So dietetics is studying to be a dietitian. So dietetics is essentially more of like the science um, behind food yeah. and the interactions that happen within our body. And so what would you say, depending how far through that study you are, in your words, what would you say the main difference between uh, the sports nutrition stuff and then the dietetic stuff? So sports nutrition is looking, I guess, more specifically at the purpose for, for most people in wanting to either get the best out of their performance, so whether that's um, how to best fuel their training or their performance in their sport, for some particular sports that might be, for example, meeting particular weight classes. Um, you know, a lot more people who are everyday athletes now as well, like in particular with the growth of CrossFit has really prompted a lot more people um, to, to develop more of an interest in that space as well. Whereas once upon a time, it was more just your elite athletes that would have been utilising some type of um, sports nutrition guidance. Whereas dietetics works across so many different fields so a lot of it is primarily hospital based is where a lot of the jobs are but then there's also other specialist areas within dietetics so for example working with sports with um, childhood pregnancy um, food intolerances Um, so I believe it's going to be a huge area of growth uh, coming into the future there's um, more and more people who are becoming invested in in their health and learning more about their bodies. Has there been much around fat loss in either of those courses? Uh, more so in uh, like what I've studied in sports nutrition so far. I guess obviously with people with uh, um, wanting to maintain a particular physique, whether it be for performance or meeting particular goals or demands. Um, with dietetics, a lot more of it is about optimising your health. So um, looking at um, I guess your, your dietary intake and the dietary guidelines are very focused on um, around your, your macronutrients and your micronutrients, which we'll get into in some more detail today. It is funny, actually, I was going to ask, going to ask about your, did you say you had some food intolerances? And it's just, it's so interesting how what could be perceived as a negative or a weakness can so often be turned into something of either a passion or a strength? Yeah. Absolutely. And even, I think it was, gosh, it must have been almost 15 years ago now since 
I was diagnosed with some food intolerances and, and I guess how it came about for me was, you know, you go out for dinner with a group of friends and you might say go out for Thai and have, you know, like a huge big meal and you go to leave and everyone's down and be like, oh my gosh, I'm so full. And I'd be like, yeah, I'm full too, but why do I look like I'm six months pregnant and everybody else still looks normal? And so that was a bit of a, a trigger for me with thinking there's something that's going on here that isn't quite right. Um, and even the, the change in what's been discovered in the science with that within those 15 years has really changed. Whereas once upon a time, people were put, for example, with, with what I was diagnosed with, with an intolerance to FODMAPs and you were told to follow the low FODMAP diet and that's just how you ate forever. Whereas now that's only used as a, a short term, you know, four to six weeks to reduce your symptoms. And then you'll go through the process of reintroducing those foods to discover where your own tolerance level is. Let's let's just, because um, I know we've got a lot to get through. We've only got an hour today, but let's delve quickly into that. What kind of testing was there 15 years ago for your intolerances? Um, if you can recall or if you want to share, let's hear a bit more about exactly what they are. And then let's talk a little bit about FODMAPs. What does it mean? What does it stand for? And then um, let's go from there into how does day-to-day life look like for you now um, and how do you manage it? Sure, absolutely. Uh, so to begin with, I was, I was tested for a few different things. So fortunately, I don't have celiac disease. Um, so I, I do have the gene for celiac, which um, quite a lot of people do, but that gene doesn't necessarily switch on. So it can just be sitting there lying dormant. It may decide to switch on at some point. Hopefully for me, it doesn't. Um, but I do have um, an intolerance to lactose and then to some FODMAPs as well. So how it was diagnosed was going and doing a breath test. So what you have to do is um, you go into uh, the a hospital where you do the test you have to drink a particular solution uh, that's like a concentrated dose of it was either i did the lactose and the fructose ones on two separate days and then you sit there and um, breathe into this hydrogen bag and that was at i think it was like 30 minute intervals and then they monitor the level of hydrogen in your breath and that was how the diagnosis was done. That's cool. That's really cool. That is so cool. I, yeah. Actually, yeah, I didn't know that they did it like that then. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And so it instantly came up for lactose? Yeah. So for lactose and then also for fructose. And so interestingly, the, the way that I sort of had the idea to start with was that maybe this was what going, was going on with me was I knew I had these symptoms and then I distinctly remember back in the day when you used to go out and get the Sunday paper because no one really does anymore. And in Body and Soul, there was this article all about FODMAP. And I was sitting there reading it and I was like, this is literally describing every single symptom that I have. So it was after that that I went to the GP who then referred me on to go and have these tests. And what is FODMAPs? What's that? So FODMAPs is an acronym. So it stands for um, fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, uh, I'm going to get this wrong now, uh, polyols, and I feel like I've missed something along the way. Maybe an A, <laughs> an A and an S. I feel like yes. I've missed something. Uh... Acidic colloids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So it's, a, okay. it's essentially an acronym, so, which is much easier to um, Monosaccharides and polyols. No, I haven't forgot one yet. Yeah, no, the S okay. just belongs on the end. So, yes. Okay. Um, yeah, essentially what they are is uh, like... Um, carbohydrates or sugars within our body that um, for some people experience like digestive distress 
um, after eating them. Okay. So how does so if, if you're going to go onto a FODMAP diet, what do you do? How does that? How long does it go for? Because uh, I guess you kind of touched on that already. That in the past this was kind of just now a forever thing, but maybe some of the research since then might have meant that we can move away and slowly reintroduce. So how long did you do FODMAPs for? And, and what did you have to do? What did you have to cut out? So back when I was first diagnosed, there was it was kind of like the FODMAP Bible back then, which Monash University, who was leading the research at that particular point in time, and even now they are, I guess, sort of the, the primary base, at least within Australia, of... Um, you know, the continual testing of new foods for FODMAPs. And so it was just this little book that I used to carry around everywhere with me. And it was like a traffic light system. And so the foods that were green, you could eat freely. The foods that were yellow were foods that you could um, eat in small amounts. And then the red was your no-go. Right. So, what's, yeah, so what's, for, what's some examples of some no-go? Oh, like for me personally, like um, apples, Stone fruit, watermelon, um, onion, garlic. So eating out with me is really fun. <laughs> um, You're like none but, of the flavorous stuff, please. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, back before I was diagnosed as well, like especially if you're cooking yourself, like onion and garlic are the first two ingredients that go in most dishes. Yeah. So that was a bit of an adaptation. And even over time, there's been things, for example, like now you can buy olive oil that is infused with garlic and having that is completely okay. But you still get the same flavour of the garlic that you can enjoy, but just without actually eating it and experiencing Uh those symptoms. But then everyone's different. So some people are able to tolerate um, different FODMAPs more easily than other people are. And um, it's... It's to do with building up a load in your, in your system as, as well. So, for example, because I know what to avoid and what not to, if I accidentally maybe get stitched up at a restaurant with something that I shouldn't, usually I won't have any symptoms these days, um, but definitely have had episodes in the past where I have. Yeah. They sneak some apple into the apple pie. <laughs> um, all right, so how long did you, how do you work out exactly which ones are the worst for you? Do you cut everything out? Yeah, so look, the, and for anyone who has been diagnosed as having um, an intolerance to FODMAPs, I would always suggest ideally working with a dietitian to try and work through the step-by-step process. Um, so ideally you want to eliminate all FODMAPs for around four to six weeks or until your, um, your symptoms have eased. And then there is a process that you work through, so step-by-step. So first of all, it might be working through the fructans. And it might be, for example, looking at um, like mushrooms might be the first one that you look at. And then um, it might be, say, on day one, you'd have a certain amount of mushrooms. And then you see if you have a reaction to it, you monitor any symptoms. If you pass that, then um, usually then two days later, then you'd increase the amount again um, and then repeat that a third time to then see if you've either passed that challenge or if you may have found a, a level that you can tolerate. And then you'd work through each of those with a different FODMAP. And then, so some people might find they can tolerate some, but not others. And then do we, correct if I'm wrong, because is this something that used to happen? People would try mushrooms and they would go, okay, I've had no issues with mushrooms. So then they would retain that in their diet and add something else in. But what might happen is there might be an accumulative impact over time of 
the amount of mushrooms you have. So do you then need to eliminate mushrooms and then reintroduce something else? Yeah, so look, if you do react to something, then the best thing is then to wait till the symptoms subside again and then challenge with a new food. And, you know, referring to load as well. So, for example, there's, you know, there's lots of different safe fruits that you could eat, but then, for example, having a lot of fruit in one go, so if you made a fruit salad, um, would put too much load into your system at once. And there is some ways around it with particular ones, like you could take... Um, pure glucose and that helps to sort of I guess piggyback it through your digestive system but like for me I don't love apples enough that I want to eat sugar just to be able to eat an apple yeah (laughs) but I I have definitely this is going back a long time ago um you know been out before and you know realized I was sitting in my food and done a dash down to 7-eleven to go and get some (laughs) lucozade the same kind of thing to try and you know ease any symptoms that might come as a result so yeah I think it's super interesting, yeah, because so many people start, let's call it a health kick for the sake of argument. So many people start a health kick, all right, I'm just going to have fruit for breakfast, a bit more fruit for dessert, I'm going to add in, you know what, mushrooms at dinner, and without realising, because we talk a lot about good food versus bad food, and so in their mind, they may have just eliminated bad foods, so they stopped having an ice cream for dessert and instead have... Um, you know, f- four apples, yes. for example. Yes. And if they fall into the category that you fall into, well, potentially they might have done the wrong thing overall, yeah? Yeah, absolutely, yes. What are some symptoms that someone would want to, other than, say, the bloating, are there any other symptoms that someone might be listening to that's, you know, their ears have kind of pricked up and they're like, oh, okay, this, I can't spell FODMAPs, but it sounds like something <laughs> I might be interested in. Is there any other symptoms someone could look for? Yeah, so, and again, everyone is different with what type of like gastrointestinal distress they might experience, but the most common ones would be cramping, um, bloating, could be either diarrhea or constipation, and then like gas as well. So, all of the fun stuff. Okay. I feel like that's all of you. <laughs> so, how, how many farts? <laughs> Ashley's saying this is Brad. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, so how many farts are allowable? Yeah. What's, I'm going to need a, you know, the clicker for when you go into a nightclub and they're yes. like, there's too many people. I need one of those to count my farts for the day. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is normal. It is a part of, you know, our digestion and that gas does accumulate and it has to either <laughs> come out one way or another. So, <laughs> Unless you're me. Hey, babe. Yes, honey, of course. <laughs> um, that is really, really interesting. I do actually believe that you, as in Brad, you have something. I feel like that you do need to go and have a look at that. But there's always that problem, what you don't know, not can't hurt you. Yeah, it doesn't But once though. you do know, like once they say, okay... So, Miss Elaine, we've done your breath test and all the tests and so, you know, yeast or whatever's in beer is something <laughs> you can't have. Uh, vodka is something you can't have. Sorry, you have to get Be- the tequila. You know, all these things, I'll be like, <laughs> I think I might just put up with the fluffs. <laughs> but, you know, once you know about it, it's worse. Yeah. Like, I'll be, they'll be like, you shouldn't have apples on work. Okay, no problem. I'll, and I might currently eat an apple and I'm like, nah. I can hardly notice this stomach cramp. But then later I might be like, oh, no, this is going to be a terrible stomach cramp. Well, Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Like Absolutely. Placebo or whatever. Yeah. You know, have you seen they did a study where they had a 400-calorie 
shake and they wrote on one of the shakes 600 calories and one of the shakes 200 calories and they gave them to separate groups and the people that had whatever the calories were in there what they were told would actually influence their hunger hormone so what so, so tell us what happened so, so the people that had like the lower calorie shake yeah would feel like they hadn't eaten as much and they might be uh, hungrier and the people that were given the higher calorie shake might feel like I'm not as hungry now I've already eaten 600 calories stop it yeah yes yeah, and so that's what I'm worried about I'll be like oh no <laughs> So, you know, I just walked past an apple tree. And now I've got And, and now, I've got the, now I've got the fluffs. <laughs> <laughs> the placebo effect is fascinating, though, and coming from a psychology background as well, it is quite unbelievable when you look at some of the studies with what it shows. Um, but just on that as well, so something that a lot of people who suffer food intolerance as well will notice that, you know, for example, if you're particularly stressed or if you're particularly tired, then usually your symptoms can be a lot worse. And then, you know, for example, if you're relaxed and away on holidays or I know for myself when I was pregnant and this is something that's commonly experienced, all of my symptoms went away and I could eat things that I wouldn't usually be able to eat. Wow. Um, you know, like I was eating real bread. Yeah, it was amazing. Of course, unfortunately, it didn't last. But it is, um, wow. you know, it is something that has been researched, yeah. Time to get pregnant again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She'd be here. She's like, yeah, you're so mm. funny. We'll let James know. So... <laughs> <laughs> so with um with placebo it is incredibly crazy what the studies show oh. when it comes to placebo like literally without getting religious but like even people of religion and it, of faith and it doesn't matter which religion could live longer when given like a a terminal illness if they believed that that there was their, a faith their of, God or whoever yeah. they believe in would, yeah. would actually help get them through this. Yeah. They actually, studies show that those people do, they lived longer. Yeah. Simply from placebo. Like I think placebo, sometimes people will look at it as just a, a tic-tac instead of a pill. Yeah. But actually something happens inside our brain and inside our body. Is yeah. that right, Christy? Absolutely it does, yes. Yeah, and it's been well documented, for example, with researching the effect of different you know, like um, medicines or interventions with, you know, with usually like a double-blind study. So participants don't know which one they've taken as well as comparing then, you know, the ones that that may actually think that they're, um, you know, they're taking something that does contain, but they're really just taking a sugar pill. So That's yeah. wild. There was even, um, there was a study on... Um, my goodness, I am probably botched it up. It's been a few years, but a study where people had, say, like a back injury. I can't remember exactly mm. what it was. Do you remember that? Yeah. And they, all the patients were taken into hospital to have AKA surgery. And there was a portion of them that actually the surgery wasn't completed, but they were taken into surgery. The doctors actually had no idea so that they couldn't, like couldn't you know give off facial expressions to maybe suggest that it was fake they were even cut open but nothing Mm -hmm. was actually done and they were just sewed back up so they had a wound site and everything and all of their back issues went away no pain they were like fixed it's like crazy it's super crazy super crazy Mm. and so i think like when you're going through a process like a reverse diet a fat loss phase health and fitness journey you know like those negative 
some sometimes um, people might have like a neat oh these things never work for me or I bet you I'll be the person that um, gains weight or I bet you I'll be the person that this fat loss phase doesn't work for I think it's just like super um, valuable during your um, journey to consider whether you're having an outlook that is potentially positive or potentially negative because the old saying whether you think you can or you think you can't you're completely right I think it just is so spot on for people going through well really any journey in life yeah totally happens all the time but Christy you're probably like even another really good example is when and, and, and even us, like we're not superhuman. Like we we know Brad's looking at me like, well, speak for yourself. I've seen I've seen your <laughs> Wonder Woman outfit, honey. <laughs> no, but from a psychology perspective, like we all even even psychologists and even people that have got practice the best mental health and, you know, practice um, gratitude and being positive like even we still need the reminders or still need to have those aha moments I dare say that you've probably been through moments as well Christy yourself where you're like you know half the thi- you know well you know a lot of the things but you still need to be told otherwise sometimes absolutely yes it's definitely something I've experienced in many different realms All right. Now, what I'd love to delve into is a lot of our listeners and a lot of the um, ladies in the groups, we talk a lot about macros um, and we talk about the difference between protein, carbs and fats. We don't really talk about micros, Um, but let's, let's start with the macros first, which is your protein, carbs, fats. Now, correct if I'm wrong, you can't have carbs after four, otherwise you'll gain weight. Yeah. <laughs> well, Brad, first of all, you forgot your favourite macro. What's the fourth non-essential macro? Ooh, not the alcohol. <laughs> the yeah, alcohol. Not the, not the beeros. <laughs> Actually, maybe we could talk about that as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that as well. Absolutely, we can. Uh, so, first of all, I'm just going to correct my. So, FODMAP, the F and it's not fermentable. I did say fructans before it's fermentable oh, oligosaccharides. So I did. I did have a note here about that. <laughs> I know. Oh, yeah, I spelt that with an IE or an NI. <laughs> Look, I've been labelled. My friends back in Melbourne used to label me. I was called a fructard. Was their affectionate <laughs> name for it? So. I love it. <laughs> so, look, it is quite interesting when we look at macronutrients, and especially probably as um, you know, a lot of our community would be people who do have more knowledge than most um, in, in about diet. But it is quite eye-opening when you realise how many people don't. And I guess an example was um, at your studio that I used to work at and I had a client one day who came up and had a chat to me after a class and was asking about, you know, her diet and was saying, you know, well, I have lots of protein, like I eat bananas. And, um, you know, just thinking that banana was a source of protein. And it's wow. something that you just kind of assume that everyone knows what, you know, what's the protein and what's the carbohydrate, but um, that's not really the case. So we do have four macronutrients. Um, so four, three of them are essential. The alcohol, the fourth one, is non-essential unless you're Brad, and then it would Brad. be deemed as... Sounds <laughs> arguable, but anyway, I won't, I won't come. Absolutely essential, yeah. <laughs> uh, mainly because it is, like, I guess, more so empty calories. It's not something that our body needs, whereas the other macronutrients do have... Um, important roles within our body so the first one so carbohydrates which are the ones that quite often people love to demonize and yes you know there's all of the different 
um, you know, things with carbs such as, you know, you can't eat carbs after four o'clock or, um, and it, and it is terrifying that from such a young age, you know, I'll have kids in primary school that will be talking about, you know, oh, not, not being able to eat carbs and, you know, at that age it has to have come from home. Whereas carbohydrates are actually our body's preferred source of energy. So it's what fuels our brain and our nervous system and all of those functions that happen within our body without us even having to do anything. So what are sources of carbohydrates? So like your fruits, vegetables, grains, um, like our, uh, like pasta, rice. Um, and then we do also have like carbohydrates in the form of our refined sugars as well. The so, tasty stuff. The, so, yeah, the, 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 absolutely the tasty stuff. I feel like a croissant now, but anyway. <laughs> so, you know, carbohydrates do give our body that immediate source of energy, um, which, you know, is useful for not only those vital functions, but you know, for example, to feel like you're training. And if anyone ever has been on a low-carbohydrate diet, then quite often what you'll experience is that tanking your energy, potentially like some brain fog, etc. Like if anyone's done the keto diet before and may have experienced keto flu, don't recommend. <laughs> um, <laughs> not ideal. But no, definitely not. Um, you know, and, and carbohydrates are definitely are not anything that we, we need to fear. So um, I guess moving on to, to look at protein. So protein plays an important role in looking at the, um, like the growth and repair in our cells and enabling them to work properly. And it's made up of what we call these um, building blocks called amino acids. And there's 20 different amino acids that we have. So to get a little technical, um, there's oh, uh -oh. <laughs> what we call our essential and our non-essential amino acids. So by essential means the ones that we have to take in through our diet that our body can't produce themselves. And then I guess the ones that we're really interested in usually when we're looking at muscle growth is our branch chain amino acids. So there's three of those. So leucine, which is the one that most people probably will be familiar with. And then we also have... Um, isoleucine and valine, and are the amino acids that are going to trigger muscle growth. Um, so where do we get protein? So not from bananas. <laughs> what about so... <laughs> peanut butter? I think that's another one. <laughs> Broccoli the... was also one too, actually. Was one. <laughs> there are different foods, for example, that do contain um, you know, a different breakdown of the, the macronutrients, but the best source of the protein come from things like your meat, fish, eggs, dairy, and then legumes and seeds. So when we look at, um, you know, how proteins are used um, for people who do eat, a, um, I guess, an, like an omnivore diet um, or even like a vegetarian diet, including things like eggs and dairy, it is a lot easier to make sure that you are getting all of those amino acids through your diet. Where it can become more challenging is um, people who are on a plant-based diet. So it is still possible. It is just a little more challenging. Um, so soy is the only plant-based protein that does contain um, all of the um, amino acids. So for anyone who is plant-based, that, that's going to be your best source. Otherwise, there is some different ways that you can look at combined different, combining different plant-based sources um, to then make up that 
um, different amino acid matrix together. But that's starting to get a little more technical and you'd probably be working with a dietitian or someone if you were um, going down that pathway. Actually, question there on soy because it is something that a lot of women fear. Um, yes. Unnecessary fear, necessary fear, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, look, um, a lot of unnecessary fear. I mean, it's the same as so many different things nowadays. It's like there's fear around everything, you know, like don't eat chicken because it's pumped full of hormones, mm-hmm. like don't eat, you know, this food because it's carcinogenic. So there is definitely a lot of fear mongering around. Yeah. And obviously, um, you know, these foods wouldn't be out and so commercially available if there was an actual real risk involved with them you would more than likely have to consume well in excess of what anyone ever would for it to have any type of potential damage i guess as we touched on last week with artificial sweeteners yes actually so just to then clear up so the ladies that choose to eat broccoli and peanut butter and stuff for their source of protein whilst it does contain protein in it it's probably not the most efficient way to get your protein intake no, absolutely not. And when you look at, you know, there's some great different comparisons floating around where you look at the like protein efficiency with, you know, like how many grams, for example, of something like chicken you would have to eat to get, you know, say 30 grams of protein versus how much peanut butter. Yeah. So we'll say, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't love eating peanut butter out of the jar? But it's <laughs> going to start to <laughs> well and truly blow the calorie budget if that's what you're relying on as your source as of protein. You, exactly. And then you're going to get a lot of palate fatigue if you're relying on broccoli to get your, you know, 100 grams of protein for the day or whatever it is. There's a, there's a lot there to eat. I think they used to use peanut butter for Mr. Ed to get him to talk. Did you know that? <laughs> no, I didn't. I actually no, don't know. really like. I I do, but I don't really remember, Mister Ed. That was. I'm don't don't forget. I'm a spring chicken. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not old enough for that. Ash. Yeah, a bit, a bit before my you time. Like, Sorry, you ladies guys. might forget there used to be a talking a talking horse. But anyway, <laughs> I, I was young at the time, and I was like, how on earth do they get this horse to speak? And then I think it was my dad. He was like, oh, they put peanut butter, and I was like. If you give a horse, oh, I thought he meant if you give a horse peanut butter, now the horse can talk. Oh. So I gave our dog peanut butter. <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> and I didn't realise they meant that just makes, yeah. No. But anyway. No. <laughs> okay, sorry. Yes, so now I, without rudely interrupting, you can continue. <laughs> <laughs> so when we look at um, so protein and carbohydrates, to add a little bit more onto that, both. Um, give the equivalent of uh, four calories per gram. Remember, when we get into looking at fat, so fat has um, approximately double that. So fat has um, around nine calories per gram in comparison. So fat is a lot more energy dense. Now, fat's the one we have to avoid, right? This is when we see low fat, (laughs) reduced fat, cut fat. This is the one we're looking to avoid. Is that right or...? Oh, absolutely. Look, I guess, you know, growing up as a child of the 80s, <laughs> um, you know, fat was absolutely demonized. That's and, what it was, right? You know, low, low fat, no fat, fat is, yeah. And we the, the, still see it. All the time, yeah. Mm. Absolutely. And so talk us through that one. Yeah, so look, fat is also essential in our body as well. So, um, you know, it helps. that's another source of energy and also supports like our cell functions and also helps us to absorb some nutrients. So we have what are called um, fat-soluble vitamins. 
that are best absorbed um, when consumed with fat. So fat can be broken down into three types. So there are definitely some fats that we should try and avoid, but then there's some fats that are great and do have lots of benefits for us. So the first type of fat is our unsaturated fat, and these are the fats that we love. So unsaturated fats come from your plant and your marine sources. So things like your olive oils, avocado, nuts, seeds, like your oily fish, like salmon. And these are the fats that are going to help to lower your bad cholesterol. So your, your LDL is your, what's called your bad cholesterol. So the second type of fat is saturated fat, and that is from our meats and our dairy. And this is what we should limit. So for anyone who does have higher cholesterol, uh, which is going to put you at an increased risk of cardiovascular disease or possibly has that in your family, then you do need to be a little bit more careful with your saturated fats. And that's where things, for example, like, you know, trimming the visible fat off your meat before you cook it um, will help. Yeah. Um, so your, your saturated fats, yeah, things like, you know, your different meats, um, your, your, um, any type of dairy products, so yogurts, your milks, your cheeses, etc. Now, is it only if, should everyone avoid those or just people that have high cholesterol or a history of heart disease? No, so it's also needing to avoid, it's just more limiting them. So making sure that, you know, the, you know, the, the unsaturated fat um, is more like eat, eat a little more freely. Saturated fats we don't want to be having too much of. And that would be, for example, even with looking at, you know, like your red meat consumption, it's not something that we want to be eating, you know, every day of the week. Yeah, um, actually, because now now that you just say that, I feel like maybe we can just um, – maybe just speak to uh, I did have a client and I think you might have been on the live when I spoke about it in train with ash and she's gone to her GP and the GP's collect uh, done her cholesterol done her blood test and the answer was stop eating protein you've got high cholesterol stop eating protein and I was like whoa 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 we need to actually provide a little bit of context around that so in your like field, your you wouldn't just go and say stop eating protein. You need to go and actually provide what it is. So, like you just said, trimming visible fat off meat, right? And you know, limiting dairy and yogurt and stuff like that is probably a little bit more context. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So GPs are great for lots of things, but unfortunately, not so great for giving nutrition advice. <laughs> they cover a very tiny amount of nutrition in the course of their study. Um, so, you know, there are ways that you can look to naturally lower your cholesterol other than taking medication. So that can be things such as um, using like what we call plant sterols. So, for example, um, you know, there's different like, you know, there's a heart active milk or using um, like there's a proactive um, like flora um, like spread that you can use. There's even a cholesterol-lowering wheat bix that is around now as well. That's so cool. Uh, I haven't seen those yet. There you go. Yeah. So again, it's something that unless you have a problem with high cholesterol that you don't need to worry about. Yeah. And with cholesterol, we, we do have our two types. So there's your, like your good cholesterol, which is your HDL, which is like your hate, like the way I like to think of it, it's like H for happy. So that's like your good cholesterol. And, um, and then there's your, your bad cholesterol, which is your LDL. 
How do you remember and the L? What's the word for that? <laughs> Low or? Loser. <gasps> there you go. Right. Happy and loser. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, your, your LDLs we can lower as well through, like, your, um, your unsaturated fat can help to lower those. Uh, obviously, some people will need to take medication as well to, to help um, with lowering those. Like Some people just naturally have a genetic predisposition to have higher cholesterol. And like eggs are one food in particular that have been demonized over the years for cholesterol. And again, like unless you have a problem with your cholesterol um, being high, then you can eat eggs freely. Uh, for people who do have um, higher cholesterol, you still can eat eggs. I think the recommendation is around six per week. So, you know, a couple every second day or one a day would still be okay. But no raw eggs like in Rocky, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> I just can't imagine. Only if imagine. it's in eggnog, is that right? <laughs> I just honestly can't imagine that. Just I just feel like yuck. Mm. Anyway. Oh, the thought of cracking a raw egg into a protein smoothie makes Ooh. me gag as well. Yuck. Um, and then so when it comes to things like avocados and nuts and seeds, um, that's okay? Absolutely, yes. And there's so many other benefits to eating those foods, like full of uh, different micronutrients as well. Um, obviously, those types of foods, though, are a lot more energy dense. So when we talk about foods, we can look at like um, energy dense versus nutrient dense. So foods that are energy dense are going to contain like a lot more um, calories um, per you know, per hundred grams, for example, as a comparison. Whereas nutrient dense food, dense foods, in comparing the same types, would contain a lot more of our micronutrients. Which are the ones that? Well, that's the good stuff. Now, yeah, absolutely. Should be, should we be aiming for a certain amount of fat every day? Yeah, so we should, absolutely. And there's one other fat that we haven't covered that I'll get onto in a minute. Uh, but with that, um, for most people, it's not going to be a problem with not eating enough fat. Quite often it can be, um, you know, that a, a lot of extra, um, you know, there's a lot of extra fat like that's hidden in foods as well. But where it can um, become problematic, for example, if somebody was entering a fat loss phase and all of a sudden was drastically reducing their fat intake and their fat started to drop quite low, then that's when it could have some flow-on effects. If it was to stay low for an extended period of time because fat does have those other important functions within our body. So what you'd want to be looking at would be, as a minimum, um, having about 0.8 to 1 gram of fat per kilogram of body weight in your diet. There you go. And that's for like you, like health but hormone production um, as well, which I think a lot of people don't really actually consider. I feel like a lot of people don't realize that it does actually play a role in your hormones and that is a necessity for life too. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And like fat is like a, you know, a satiating food as well um, and, you know, it helps things to taste good. So that's yes. also really important. It adds flavor, doesn't it? definitely (laughs) did you have another fat that you wanted to cover as well yeah so the last still chewing the fat (laughs) (laughs) the last type of fat which is the ones that we want to avoid are the trans fats so these are the fats that we'd find in things like you know your fried foods or your commercially baked um donuts cakes yeah yeah donuts is a massive one Absolutely. So, you know, like whilst they're okay to enjoy on occasion, yeah. um, 
wouldn't be something that we're wanting to include you know, every day of the week. Yeah, and even actually popcorn, that's another one that trans fat wall depends if you're getting air popped popcorn but yeah a lot of people don't realize that those everyday foods do contain yeah do contain that well not everyday foods for a lot of people but yeah commercially available was probably the correct terminology i was was like who is eating popcorn every day well it's just something that well what happens like um erin did a post on popcorn the other day because it is actually quite a popular food we might it's an everyday food not for me it's not I reckon if I worked at like Greater Union, it would be an everyday food. <laughs> I actually don't really like it. Fun fact. Really? Mm. Mm, crazy. No, I'm with you, Ash, as well. I'm not a big popcorn fan. Yeah, not a big fan. Too if much. it's there, I might have just like a couple of popped corns, mm. but just don't love it that much. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so that's – did you cover – yeah, we've covered all macros just there, yeah? We have, yeah. Okay, we've got about 20 minutes left. Um, I do have a couple questions I still wanted to go through, but before I waste everybody's time with my silly questions, <laughs> was there anything that you had on your side that you thought was like super valuable or important or worth bringing up? I know that we sort of touched on micros. Did we want to dive more into that or was there anything else you had? Yeah, absolutely. So micronutrients, are our like our vitamins and minerals so vitamins you know, help for example with things like our like energy production and our immune function and then our minerals are for things like you know, our growth our bone health you know, fluid balance etc and it's quite common for people to be deficient in particular vitamins or minerals but for example iron would be one of the most common ones and in particular with females um so in between um, and you know this happens from relatively early on with like adolescents, females from about the ages of you know sort of fourteen right through to fifty. Um, you know about forty percent of females are iron deficient. And, That's a lot. You know, it is. And yeah. is that literally just due to intake alone? Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely due to intake. Um, and you know there's, there's different ways that we can get iron so we can get what we call heme iron which is from our animal animal based sources and that's more easily absorbed by the body and then we also have what's called non-heme iron which is from your plant-based sources so our body can still absorb those but just not as well there's different ways that we can try and help that so for example um, taking vitamin c or eating vitamin c rich foods with those non-heme sources of iron and help their body to better absorb it. But quite often, for example, when you know it's common for, for women to talk about you know, being really tired um, and quite often it can be to do with low iron and especially during pregnancy as well is where a lot of women do become iron deficient. And, of course, the third type, which is pumping iron. <laughs> <laughs> Not one of your best ones, mate. Okay. They can't all be tense. <laughs> But, you know, and I'm, I'm sure that everyone knows someone that, you know, well, like I I used to always joke to my mum, she would literally, you know, we'd say we'd be away on holidays and she'd walk out in the morning with this handful of pills and I'd be like, what's all of that? And she'd rattle off about 20 different things that she was taking on these vitamins and minerals and I was like, but what are you taking them for? She's like, oh, you know, well, they're good for me. So, but have you actually found out that you might be deficient in any of these? <laughs> She's like, no. <laughs> so quite often... Um, like there's no real need like we can get everything that we need through our diet and if you're eating 
a range of you know different you know plant-based foods in a broad variety so eating the rainbow there's no real need to have to supplement anything unless there's a diagnosed deficiency and what happens with any extra of these vitamins and minerals is we just pay them out so quite often if you're spending you know fortune on different um, supplements it's probably just going to be <laughs> um, like quite expensive pee coming out the other end yeah so yeah but you know when you when you do look at a lot of the statistics though then yes a lot of people are deficient and and one that is quite surprising is vitamin d so um you know a lot of the population is actually vitamin d deficient and you know especially living in queensland like you think but no way you know we're, we're out in the sun well not at the moment like what sun but yes. even, even with vitamin D, there's only a particular time in the morning, depending on, um, you know, whereabouts you are with the, the tilt of the earth and the angle of the sun or something with how your body best absorbs it naturally. Yeah. So it's, it's quite fascinating when you look at it. Mm, um, only certain times of the day, Ash likes vitamin D as well. Yeah. <laughs> Bradley Lane. Now, there's two questions, two pressing questions that I've got to get to the bottom of. One of them I legitimately don't know the answer to, and I don't know if I should be putting on the spot here. And if you don't know the answer, you just tell me you don't know the answer and we'll move on. I've done um, like a super small amount of research, and there's such conflicting views on this that I have not done enough to yet know the answer. So I'd love to know your opinion on seed oils. Now, it's very controversial out there and there's some big name people in the nutrition space that have opposing views and um, it would be super easy to fall into either camp just simply because you you know they're your team or you really follow that person and you know there's multiple people that have been on for example the Joe Rogan podcast that just have so they're a big enough name in the space to make such a you know, the second biggest podcast after ours on the planet. So, like, what's do you have any? Um, have you done any research around seed oils, whether they're good for us or whether they're killing us? I haven't, no, but okay. yeah, again, like with lots of other foods, I know there is the debate about you know whether some may be um, toxic. Um, yeah, I, I mean, to my knowledge, I don't believe that that they are. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd need to do some more research and go and have a look at some actual, uh, yeah, Might scientific to, journals about that. <laughs> we'll save that one for the next podcast. We'll yeah. do. We'll do that yeah. one on our next we'll one. We'll do we'll our. Di- we'll do our research. We'll dive into some seed oils because it's it is so super interesting. There are you know you've got your people in the industry that you rely on somewhat. So I'll I'll say someone like Lane Norton for mm. example. Mm-hmm. You can nearly if you see something come from him, you nearly don't even need to check. He yeah. is so good that you know that he's going to be referring to papers. He'll give you, you know, all the information. He's amazing. And there's people that have an equally big name as him on either side of the fence. Yeah. And so it's one of those topics, I think, at the moment. A lot of people might not have even heard of seed oils, but it's just one of those topics at the moment that is, I think, is pretty interesting. Well, a topic that you've heard on several podcasts now. Yeah. Yeah. Recently. Rece- yes. 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 Was that, was that your only pressing question? I'll do had? some research and get back to you. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, my second question is around um, dairy and milk for humans. So you hear a lot about um, animal milk or humans being the only species 
that consume another animal's milk. Mm. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, look, dairy dairy is a food that's often um, demonized. So like, I sort of referred to this last week in the live that for most people, if they go and see particular um, healthcare practitioners, the first thing that they will tell them to do is to cut out dairy and to cut out gluten because they cause inflammation. And yeah, those those two foods don't don't really need to be demonized. So look, I'm I'm someone who doesn't tolerate dairy well. I do still include dairy in my diet. There's like for example, cheese is very low in lactose. Um, whereas, for example, if I was to go and drink a cup of milk, then I would definitely know about it. But in terms of like, consuming it, there's unless you're you know, experiencing any particular gastrointestinal distress, there's no reason not to. I know that there is you know, definitely a tendency for, for people to consume less dairy, and in particular as we do get older, um, and especially with the huge number of different you know plant-based milks for example and even now moving into different plant-based yogurts and even like cheeses and and everything now but dairy is still you know a good source of things like our, our calcium calcium's another um one of our minerals that a lot of people are deficient in so if, you know with dairy i'd say if you enjoy it eat it if you if you don't enjoy it then and don't eat it but there's no reason to cut it out if, it, if it's something that you are having as part of your diet now um, for any other reason and I think that we could probably wrap up nearly every food or food group under that same sort of banner yeah so I know that there's a lot of good foods versus bad foods there's things you shouldn't have there's things that you should have and it gets to be nearly so confusing that it's nearly for a lot of people that don't even bother because you know no carbs after four don't uh, now christy told me i can't have apples uh, you can't have dairy because it comes from another animal like there is so many things that are just contradicting and confusing out there i think that it gets people to the point they don't even know where to start and so maybe they don't start so i think could we wrap up and say like the only foods that are good and bad are individually good foods for you or bad foods for you. So for Christy, it might be apples are a bad food for Garlic. her. Oh, Garlic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have to have you over for dinner. I'll cook. <laughs> but, but for me, maybe they're okay. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And I guess just to add to that as well, you know, there's so many people who are, you know, like out cutting out particular foods and, and um excluding them from their diet but when you look at it you know like most of the population like over 90 percent of people aren't eating enough vegetables and you know everyone wants to look for you know like the magic pill or you know what's going to make them feel better but for most people if we were just to focus on going back to the basics with your food you know like eat eat fruits eat your vegetables eat grains eat you know your if you are someone who eats like meats and um you know fish and everything we can get everything that we need from our diet um so it's one of those things you know pick from the lowest hanging fruit rather than looking for everyone wants the quick fix yeah Mm. inclusion right rather than restriction everyone looks for a new thing uh, what should i restrict to be healthier be um lose body fat whatever it may be however what 
not many people look for is inclusion. Why don't I include more vegetables? Why don't mm. I include some more root, uh, some more fruit? Eat the rainbow. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Cool. Anything you wanted to finish off with, or maybe a message to James Smith or anything before we go? <laughs> Because he will be listening to this podcast. <laughs> He's got citizenship now, so I've lost my little <laughs> carrot Look, that I had to dangle. <laughs> some, some leverage has gone, but I'm, I still feel confident. He's replied to every message I've ever sent him so far, so maybe we can draft something up. <laughs> Brad, if you can hook me up with an intro when I'm, I'm meant to be travelling down to Sydney next month for his um, show that he's doing for his new book. So, look, if you can hook me up with an introduction there. So okay, done. I can is, get a selfie with him for the third time. <laughs> is this the confidence book? It is, yeah. Have you read it yet? I have, yeah. Have you read it? No. 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 Is it any good? Look, I, my favourite out of his three was the second book. Yeah. Um, Mine too. Not a Life Coach. Absolutely love that book. How to Be Confident, it is a good book. A lot of it is probably from following him for quite a while, I guess, like repeated content, but a great book and it talks about confidence in you know, lots of different elements of our life. And you know, I still definitely had some like aha moments reading it. So, yeah, mm, definitely That's recommend. interesting. Did you buy the, um, the hardcover? I didn't know. Ooh, okay, well, that's not going to... I'll keep that. I'll keep that out of the message. <laughs> Isn't that how you get to be uh, Sunday? Is it Sunday Times best seller? Why? Why having a hardcover? Yeah, mm, oh, hard, I didn't know that. Only the hardcovers count. Stop really? it! So if I, I buy, because we're Kindle users here, so if we're we're not supporting our favourite authors by buying the Kindle version, they still get money. Yeah, but they won't make a... And and I think you can only be a Sunday time... Look, I don't know the ins and outs of it. I don't work for the Sunday Times. But I think that there's a time period that you have to sell your books. Call it... And I'm making this up. Maybe it's the first month that they're for sale. How many hardcover books you sell in month one, I believe something like that determines whether you become a Sunday Times best-selling author for, wow. for that individual book. I might have like one variable not perfect there because none of my books have ever made it. <laughs> you poor thing. I know. Okay. Well, that was interesting. Fun facts for your Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> yeah, that's why a lot of those authors will really push their pre-sales because that's where it makes a huge difference with getting those accolades. I think, did he go th uh, third time, Sunday Times bestseller? I know he did for the first two books. I don't know. I'm catching up with yeah. him in Sydney, so I'll <laughs> have to find out. I'm sure he would have. I'm sure he's got a huge following and uh, very deservedly so. So I'm, I, I'm sure that he would have, no doubt. Very good. Well, actually, um, before we sign off on this fine day, um, your Instagram, your we'll we'll put it in the we'll put the actual thing in the notes. But yes. which one is it? Well, I was just going to let Christy say where can people find you? Yeah, so you can find me at Christy Lay Nutrition on Instagram. So I am Christy with a K. Nice, um, and easy but yeah, one. we'll pop it in the show notes as well. Yeah, yeah. Is that all one word? It is all one word. Yes, Super easy underscores. One. <laughs> no under, no underscores, no double underscores, <laughs> nothing crazy. No dots. No dots. <laughs> All right. We really, really appreciate you for coming on. Thank you so much for providing such epic value. 
and we'll see you in the Train With Ash group. You are such a valued part of our community. We love having you in there and we have some super exciting things that are coming up in the very near future, yeah? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been fun as always and um, look forward to catching up down at the Burley Pub soon, I'm sure. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye, Bye, guys. Bye. What an absolute legend. I know. So good. I love that we haven't really delved into nutrition specifically yet on the potty, which is crazy given the business that we run. Well, because we have a fat loss business and I think that nutrition is um, for sure super important. Yes. I think that a lot of people have a fat loss goal and lean on nutrition. Yeah. So they're picking um, suggestions out of the wrong bucket. Mm. So there's a fat loss bucket with a heap of options in there on what you could do to lose fat. And then yeah. there's a nutrition bucket. Yeah. And I think a lot of a lot of the time people have a 10 kilo, 20 kilo, whatever fat loss goal. And so they go, okay, I'll eat different types of foods. So they look at the types of things they eat, not the volume of yes. what they're eating. And, you know, the, obviously training plays just as big a role as well. And I think that because we spend so much time in fat loss, I think it's um, something that probably does get overlooked. And, of course, it's just as important. Um, the only, I guess, the only suggestion I would have is do fat loss first. Mm. Because, And the reason I say that, it's not that nutrition's not as important. It is. The reason I say that is because so many people get derailed doing nutrition. You've, we've just listened to an hour of what's probably somewhat confusing for for some people. They're mm. like, you know, I can't even spell FODMAPs, let alone say the words that are in there and now I don't know to eat apple or whatever. And I think that if I had one suggestion, it would be learn fat loss. So spend three months, say, out of your life. Is this a How did you hold that in? Oh I think you goodness. nearly, like you didn't have cheese today. Load my head off. <laughs> um, I would say spend three months learning fat loss, which is, you know, um, uh, not as complex as what you may think. Mm. And then once you get that fat loss under control, then I would start chipping away. And as Christy said, you know, like using cholesterol as an example, if you don't have high cholesterol or concerns, then... Maybe that's not the first spot I would start. If you eat an apple and then feel like you have stomach cramps or concerns, then maybe that's that's what I would look at. So I'd start making some notes around how you feel, how your digestion is, how many times do you poo, what kind of poos are they? And all that sort of stuff actually does play quite a role. And then start working backwards from there and say, okay, every time I have cheese, I fart for two hours. And that might be a bit of a clue as to what may be good for you and what may not be good for you. Or causing digestional distress. Exactly. Or the fluffs. Yeah, exactly. Like it is super duper important. And I love that we are covering this, particularly for the people that have got their fat loss dialed in. It's nailed. They've. It's not confusing. They're not no longer scared of this food, that food, whatever. Mm. And now they're like, my next step is really dialing in nutrients for health reasons. 100% totally agree. And yeah. on that, let's take us out of here. Let's take us out of here. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, Ash underscore underscore Lane. And if you don't already follow Brad, train at train with Brad. And we'll see you in the next episode. Love you, bye. Love you, bye.